Well, good morning. It is so good to see you all. While while the bumper video was uh, running, I was just I was like, "What a handsome group of people there!" Yeah, <laughs> great to see you all, and great to uh, have all of you who are uh, joining us uh, online this morning. And uh, I'm going to be wrapping up uh, our series, uh, "The Misuses of God," where we kind of just looking at these different things that just have happened in the church, and they're not the healthiest thing, and and have wanted to be a church with fancy lights during the. <laughs> Sorry, I just realized. Wow, that is really cool. Um, uh, and I'm distracted. I'm easily distracted. If, if you know me, you know that's true. Um, so I'm going to be uh, wrapping up this uh, series. And uh, to, to open up what I want to talk about this morning, I, I want to tell you a story from when I was in middle school. We called it junior high back then. I went to, to Marana Junior High. And uh, yes, uh, yeah, t- there you go. Some of you maybe have gone there. Um, I was in a, a shop class. It was a leather shop. And um, I, I'm smiling because I, when I was going over some of this with some of the staff earlier uh, this week, they were like, leather shop? Like, like you worked with leather, like you know. And I think they were picturing cavemen or something with rocks or whatever. I just realized I, I'm I'm the old guy on staff now. I apparently none of them uh, had leather shop, but I had leather shop, and our shop teacher, um, uh, he, uh, we middle schoolers feared him. Like I may, and he may have been the nicest guy in the world, but we feared him. We had just, uh, you know, Mr. Toothman. And we we're just like, oh my gosh. Because he, he had kind of a gruff voice and, and we were always just like, oh my gosh. It just like, just terror. He put the fear of God in us. Right. And so I was in a leather shop and we were making these leather wallets and we would pick out a picture and whatever the picture was, then we would, tran- you know, you would carve it and you know, do all the little tools and tap it and shape it, um, the picture into the leather. And once you got that done, you'd take it to Mr. Toothman and he'd look at your picture and the leather. And if it, you know, if it passed muster, then he would give you all the stuff to lace it up and turn it into a wallet. And I had this picture of this horse and I had carved it in there and I'd worked really hard for days and days and days. And I was finally all ready. And I went up to Mr. Toothman, you know, a little timid and I gave him everything. And he looks at it and he goes, well, what's this right here? And he's looking at the picture. I gave him, I said, well, I, that's, he goes, is that a log or a, a you know, a branch or something? And it was underneath the horse. And I was just like, and it's on the picture. And I'm like, well, I, I think it's like the horse's shadow. And he goes, I think it's a log. You, you don't have the log in there. Why, why didn't you put the log in there? Well, I said, I think it's like a shadow. He goes, well, that, that looks like a log. Why, why, why did you bring this to And I'm just like, I'm like, okay. Uh, yeah, I missed that branch there. Right. And it's just, and I felt like, like, you know, like he was driving this thing and I knew what I needed to believe in that moment, that there was a branch or a log. And, and you know, and the whole time in the back of my head, I'm going, you know, why would a cowboy park his horse on a branch or a log, right? You know, just, it's just, I think this is a shadow. Of course, I didn't tell him that. I'm just like, okay, I'll go carve that log into the wallet. And I walk back to my, you know, uh, work table where there was, you know, all my little buddies were there and they're like, and they could hear part of the discussion. They're like, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to go? I'm going to carve a log in this wallet. That's what I'm going to do. Cause that's what I need to believe in. That's what I need to do, I guess. And so, and, and I share this story because, um, 
I, to this day, I don't think it was a log. I think it was a shadow. That's what I believe. But in the moment, I knew what I needed to believe. I knew what I was, you know, needed to do. And, and I share this story because sometimes um, we can get caught where there can be a thing like with church where the idea of having a question or a doubt is not okay. They're just, you need to believe this even if you don't believe it, right? There's a way of thinking about faith that, it, that is just kind of like a blind faith. Believe what you don't really believe kind of a thing. And sometimes that gets promoted, um, but it's not the healthiest thing in the world. And, and so where I wanna go this morning is this. Um, churches misuse God when they promote a spiritual life with no room for doubt or questions. And just like that day in shop class, I didn't feel like there was hardly any room to doubt what was being said about this belief about there being a log or a branch on that picture. I just, just you know, get with the program. Just believe it. And, and if that's true, even though you don't believe it, then just you know, act on that. And sometimes churches create this environment that's like, you just, you just need to believe this and, there, and to question or to have doubts about God or, or something that you're studying or whatever. Well, that's like, that's weak faith or bad faith or being a bad Christian. There's, it's a little bit like what it can feel like, the way I refer to this sometimes is, it's like, you just need to check your brain at the door. You don't need to use your brain. You just need to take it in and just kind of believe whatever. And I know that maybe some of you, you grew up in churches like that, or you grew up in a community or a family uh, like that. And it feels a little scary at times if you've got doubts, because it's like, I, I just need to keep pushing those doubts back. But the truth is, we all have those doubts. There's always things that is as Christians, as just human beings that haunt us a little bit. Ever, ever go through something hard or difficult and just finding yourself going, I, like, why was God so silent through this? I, 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 like, where was God in this? Or like, is God real? Like if I went through that and I didn't experience, like, is God real in this? Or why are there so many different religions in the world? Like, you know, the more I study God and it's just like, why, why would there be more religions in the world? That doesn't make sense to me. Or um, is, you know, like, what is my life supposed to be about? Or why would God allow terrible things to happen? Like we've got these big questions, but we also have those little questions that are maybe more important to us because they're about our lives. And we just have doubts or questions that we want to process. And sometimes churches can be really unsafe places to bring those because it's like, well, you just, it's a little bit like my shop teacher. You just, you know, quit messing with that and get with the program. And if you've experienced that, I, I mean this, I'm really sorry because it's, it can be a difficult thing. It, you know, when we wrestle with those questions in life, one of the reasons it can be difficult is because if we do allow ourselves to wrestle with them and work on them, it can become a little messy at times. It can even become a little scary. It can also become a little scary for churches and communities because there's this worry that like, if, if we just let that go, if that gets unchecked or somehow, 
what will happen to people's faith? Will people abandon church? Will they abandon God? Will they, like, what will happen to them? And there can be a little bit of a notion of better a plastic faith that you know than an honest faith that is, well, a little messy. And by plastic faith, I mean that kind of faith that it's plastic in the sense that it's disconnected from what is genuine or what you're really experiencing in life. It might be the thing you feel like you're supposed to believe, but it's not necessarily what you experience. And it gets messy trying to pull that together. So what do you do uh, with that? And, and I want us to be the kind of church that says you never need to check your brain at the door. And that, that a messy faith at times is okay because it's genuine and it's real. And I hope that what you get out of this morning is this sense that even if it feels a little scary at times to deal with those questions, that you will find a way to approach them, that you will find brings a kind of life and beauty that you never get to experience with a plastic kind of faith. So here's what I want to do this morning to kind of walk through uh, what happens with this. I want to make two observations that... that um, I think we can draw some conclusions from these two observations out of scripture and draw some, some like application or conclusions that'll actually help you navigate it when you run into it. So here, here's the first uh, observation and it's this. Doubt is an inescapable part of being a human. It just is. Um, if you have your Bibles, uh, flip over to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the very end. This uh, occurs at this time when Jesus, this is after the resurrection. Um, he is gathering up his different followers in different ways and other followers are hearing about it and there's different places where they meet and stuff. Um, and we pick this up in verse 16. Um, and this is at the very end of this gospel. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Right? So this is kind of exciting for some of them. Some of them maybe haven't even seen Jesus yet. They've just heard about it. This is their chance to meet Jesus after the resurrection. Imagine what a moment that would be. It says, When they saw him, they worshipped him. Oh, yeah. I mean, like... Think of what a faith-building moment that would be. Imagine what that would be like. But then there's this odd thing. Look at the next three words. But some doubted. Some, like this is after they saw him die on the cross, buried and rise from the dead. I mean, does that not seem strange uh, to some of you? I mean, it used to bother me a little bit because I thought, um, how could they doubt I mean, gosh, if I was there and I had witnessed, the, you know, his death and then saw him alive again, I'd have no doubts. I'd be like, sign me up, right? I'd be like, I'm like I'll never doubt you ever again, God. I'm just, I'm there. You're like, I just... All right, there was a part of me that just felt like that would eliminate all struggle and doubt in my life. I just know how real God was and just, but apparently, right? Even with what seems like to me and maybe you that just be the thing that would eliminate all doubt, it didn't. And part of it is just because they're human and part of the human experience 
is that we're going to have moments of doubt. We all doubt. No one gets a pass on the doubt thing. You know why? Because we're all finite humans. We have limited IQs, right? You can be really smart, but you still don't know everything, do you? No, it is not even close. And so we're humans and we're limited by this body and it's just, we're finite. And so we have cares and concerns about things that we want to know that, that we're trying to make decisions about or organize our lives around and we will never get all of the information, all the knowledge that we want. And so we're going to struggle with doubt. Um, and we have to live uh, and make choices in a world where there are few guarantees, right? And that just, that makes it tough, isn't it? There's, we just don't have guarantees. For, for, let me illustrate this. Um, how many of you, don't raise your hands on this, but how many of you in the last year maybe lost a little money in the stock market? Yeah. Um, don't raise your hands on this one either, for sure. Um, how many of you maybe in the last year lost some money with Bitcoin? Yeah, man, some of you are just like, oh, I lost a lot of money. Well, my question is, well, why did you do that? <laughs> Easy, right? Because you didn't know. Nobody knew, right? Because we're finite. And if you don't know, well, you don't know, right? It's just, and if you don't know, there's going to be a part of this where there's doubt because we live in this world where there's no guarantees. Um, I think about uh, Angie, you know, she married me and she didn't have many guarantees of much of anything. Yeah, she, she took some real chances with me, right? That this thing would work out, you know, that, I, that, you know, that someday I'd become, you know, organized and on time. Okay, she didn't get that. <laughs> a lot of things she didn't get out of this, right? It's just, there are no guarantees. You know, I kind of felt like, you know, I got to be the trophy husband in this whole thing. I, I clearly felt like I was marrying up in all of this. Um, but, but there were no guarantees. Like, there, there, there wasn't, because it was a relationship. And there was so much, we, there was less we knew about each other than what we did know about each other. And in some ways, that's still the same. And that's the way life works. Have you ever noticed the most important decisions that we make about our lives are the ones that we never have 100% certainty or knowledge about? It's just, we're going to have doubts around it. Um, you can't buy a house or pick a spouse or have kids or pick a friend without taking a chance, without dealing with questions that can't be answered in all of this. Um, and here's the point. If you are looking for a doubt-free existence, you have chosen the wrong species, right? <laughs> Sorry, but it's okay. I, want you to, I don't want you to miss this. Even though, even though that is true, it is okay. Um, it's interesting. Paul, uh, if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians. Paul makes a statement, uh, several statements about this. He wraps up a, a, a chapter, um, really a chapter about love. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, where he deals with this whole issue about like having enough spiritual knowledge or understanding. And he says this, look at verse eight. He says, 
Um, but where there are prophecies, which would be like special knowledge, like really special uh, spiritual knowledge, but where there are prophecies, they will cease, he says. And he uses this little Greek word that literally means um, insufficient or ineffective. Like, like, like even where there's special spiritual knowledge, like at the end, it's, it's going to be insufficient. And he uses this word three times. It gets translated differently in English, but it's the same Greek word. He goes on, he says, where there are tongues, which this would be the idea of like special messages. Like there's a special, more specific kind of message. He says, they will, they will be uh, stilled. And it's the same Greek word. Uh, it, it's still insufficient. Uh, where there is knowledge, and this would be like general knowledge. Like you can study and learn. You could become an academic. You could apply yourself and really learn some deep things. Uh, he says, but it'll pass away. It is also insufficient. There's just this thing where he says, I want you to understand there's a limit to it. And even though, and it's fine to pursue all of those things, but if you expect a hundred percent certainty, you won't get it. And, and it means, here's what it means. We will all struggle with questions and doubts in this world. It's just a part of it. So here's the application to this point, the takeaway on this one. Because if you're at that place or know someone is, or you're going to run into it someday, it's this. Give yourself grace. Give yourself grace to navigate that. Because sometimes if you grew up in a church or especially if you grew up in a family or a community that like that wasn't allowed, that was seen as bad, it gets really hard to give yourself grace for this. Um, there's a verse that I absolutely love. It comes from one of the smaller books in the Bible. It's the book of Jude. And um, it, in fact, it doesn't even have chapters. It's just, it just has verses. There's like one chapter in all of Jude. So it's just verse 22. Um, has this simple statement. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. I love that verse. Be merciful to those who doubt. In fact, say it with me, right? Let's say this together. Be merciful to those who doubt. You know why? Because that's me. And that's you. It's the person sitting next to you. It's your neighbor. It's all of us. We all doubt. He says, you know, you love that? Be merciful. Because this is part of the human condition. And no one likes it. But we all have to deal with it. And so give yourself grace to be merciful in moments that you doubt, in moments that you struggle. Be merciful uh, with yourself. Give yourself grace which then opens you up to something else in all of this. And this leads uh, to the second observation that I want to make uh, this morning. And it's this. The humility that comes from being honest about the doubts and things we do not know is actually a move toward God. There's actually something good about being honest that we, that we have doubts, that we have questions, that there are things that we don't understand or that would bother us as we try and navigate who God is and how he relates to us and what the Bible teaches us about us and this world and, and about him. That there's, there's something in this that is actually 
that, that if we suppress it, if we keep seeing God uh, like my shop teacher and it's just like, I just need to have a plastic faith and I just, I just need to believe even if I don't believe. No questions, no doubts. I just, you know, just, and you've probably met people like that, right? You've met people at moments where you're just like, okay, are you real? Because you just seem to just, oh no, this is the way it is. And they just believe, right? You, you've experienced that. Maybe you'd even say you've struggled with it yourself at moments because you felt the need uh, for that in this. And, and part of where this comes from, okay, is there's this agenda that we assume that God has, that, that we often have. So it's easy to assume the agenda, like I just, I wanna know, I wanna understand, which is a fine thing to study the Bible, to pray, to understand, that's really good to know. But we oftentimes assume that's God's agenda. God wants us to know with 100% certainty that he exists, who he is, and how we relate to him. Like sometimes we think that, that God would sit in heaven and and get a little fearful if someone doubted his existence. But maybe he doesn't. Maybe, what if God is just like, you know, there's people that have doubted me and I'll just have a little therapy with myself and I'll get past that. I'll, I'll deal with that. I, my self-image can handle people doubting me, right? God's not fragile. And maybe God's agenda isn't the same as ours. You ever thought about that? Maybe he's got a different agenda in this. Um, uh, back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, uh, he comes off this whole thing about like how these different types of knowledges, like they're insufficient. And then he goes into this illustration about this transformation we can have, like going from a child to an adult. And he describes himself uh, in this. And I want you to look at this. Look at verse 11. He says this, because it's what he says at the end of it that becomes really important for us. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Remember, this is coming off of this whole thing about how there's all these different types of knowledge that we want and we try and get. And it's a little bit like, you know, we think that would be enough. If I could have special knowledge and special messages and if, and if I could learn and study and I, like, and, and I could have just a, uh, a great handle on theological uh, things, like that would be enough. What if that's childlike, right? And he, and, and he says, you know, like I, that's, I, that, there's something childish there that I was like. And then he goes on. He says, when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, and now he goes back to this idea that we don't know everything, right? He says, but I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. He just says, you know, now that I'm grown up, I realize that what I see and understand spiritually, like there's something I see there. There's, there's something I can gain and understand. But at best in this world, it's still like a poor reflection in a mirror. I don't get to have 100% of the knowledge that I would want or that I would like in all of this. And what I want you to see here is Paul is humbly accepting that. He's not fighting against it. He's just, he's acknowledging there's, yeah, there's the truth. I don't get to have all of that. Um, and, and it's interesting where he goes with this. 
because he goes in a relational direction uh, in all of this. And, and the first, and, and I want to give you three ways to walk this out uh, here this morning in a real practical way that if you struggle with doubts or, or questions that you just like, is this okay? Three more things, ways to, to move forward. And the first one is this, trust that your doubts don't scare God or make him mad. They don't scare him and they don't make him mad. Paul right here is just saying, you know, I don't have it all figured out. It's still a little bit like a poor reflection in some old mirror where I can't quite make it all out. I can see something, but I can't make it all out. And what Paul is saying is, that's something that I've come to accept as I've gone from being like a spiritual child to a spiritual adult that there's a kind of humility with that, of just understanding. I, I don't get 100% certainty in all of this. But then that opens us up to that there's something that we need more than just knowledge. There's something more that we need than 100% certainty. There's something more than what those disciples needed than just seeing evidence, empirical evidence, that Jesus actually rose from the dead. There he was, and yet they still had doubts. And uh, look, uh, look back at the passage. Look at verse 12 because now he gets into it. He says this. He says, then we shall see face to face, right? This is where now he's switching to this relational thing. He goes on, he says, now I know in part, then I, now I shall know fully. Like there's coming a day, someday, maybe in heaven, I'll know more fully. But here's what I love. Even as I am known fully. Notice his agenda is changing from I've got to know this and have certainty about this too. You know what I'm going to get? I realize as I'm growing spiritually, as a human being in God's universe, I need to know that God sees me. I need to know that I am known by him. See, maybe more than knowing, we need to feel known. There's a relational component that is actually more important in all of this. You know, it's interesting. I, I learned this in doing ministry over the last 30 plus years. I remember in, when I first started in ministry, there'd be these moments that any pastor faces where you, you see people and families in crisis. It's at a hospital and something severe has happened. It's at a funeral. It's just, there are these moments that are tender moments where people are at a crossroads that it's really hard and they're asking deep, sincere questions about things that can be really scary in their lives. And oftentimes they ask the question, why, why, why this death? Why this diagnosis? Why this accident? Why this divorce? Why this loss? Why? And early on, I always tried to answer the why question. Like, like try to, okay, here's a theological 
answer. I'm going to go to, I'm going to give you a theological answer as to why God did this and why you needed this and why this is actually a good thing. Why? And without realizing it, it becomes this thing of like, okay, um, you don't need to feel all of this if you can just understand why, and then you'll know so now it's okay. You've got an answer to why it all adds up and now it's, it's all okay. And you know what I've learned over the years? That's not what people have really needed. I've learned that no matter how good those answers are, at the end of the day, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't make the questions and the doubts and the struggle go away. You know what I've learned? People need to know more in those moments. Is God seeing me right now? How is God with me right now? What is God like with me right now? They, they, that's what they need. Is God hurting in this moment? Does God feel my pain? Does God care about this? Does this matter to him as much as it matters to me? See, those are, that's a very different thing in all of this. And it's like Paul is saying, gosh, I'm, I'm learning. Like you go down the just knowledge path and there are good things. We, there's lots of things with knowledge that we want to study and learn and need to know. But friends, at the end of the day, it will not satiate all of your doubts and questions. But you know where you will just soak up things from God with those? Is in how does God know me? Am I known by God? Because it becomes a deeply relational thing. So here's the second, here's the second point of application on moving forward with this. And it's simply this. Give up an agenda of certainty for an agenda of relationship. As you have, it's not bad to have all those questions, but as you have those questions, begin, begin asking relational questions. Begin asking God, like, do you see me? Are you with me in these moments? It's interesting. We, there, there were a couple of uh, Vietnam vets that uh, I got to know that actually had a similar story. Um, and I'm going to share one of them with you, but they, they, I may pull in a few parts of the other one because they're, they're a little bit intertwined and so similar. Um, both of them saw severe action in Vietnam. Um, it impacted their lives Deeply, One of them who passed away probably 10 years ago that I got to know well and got to know his story well, he lost so many friends in Vietnam because of just where the action was that he was a part of and all the things that happened. And he struggled with this sense of survivor's guilt for a long time. I knew him for decades. And he struggled with this sense of like survivor guilt. And he used to tell me, he just said he would, he would in fact, he, he had a walking stick and he wrote the names of, of all of his all of his buddies and comrades that he had lost uh, during the war. And he'd look at some of those names and he'd be like, that, that person was better than me. That person, that was a good man. Why, why did I get to live and he 
it and I can't figure God out. And it just, it just ate him up inside with these deep questions. I can't figure out, I can't figure God out. Like, like, and I don't know how to relate to God because I can't figure it out because I need an answer to why this guy would die and why I would live, why this guy was hurt or maimed for life and I didn't and why, and just, and all of these things. And he went through this whole thing. And finally there just, there came a place where he, he just said, I've got to find a way to let go of these questions and somehow, and here was the statement, and make peace with God, even if he doesn't tell me why. And it's like he was going from childhood to adulthood spiritually. Peace with God. That was a relational question. God, how how can help me to trust you and have hope in you, even if I never get answers to these? And as he started down that path, an interesting thing happened to him. He decided to go back to Vietnam. He felt like to make peace, I need to go back and just walk the ground and go back to some of those places and just mourn it and go through it and and just... Just believe God will do something through that. And so he actually traveled back to Vietnam and spent, I think it was like three weeks there. And he got back there and it became like a life-changing thing for him. Like he, like he really started to make peace with God. And this started happening even before he left there. And then something else happened. He was uh, by a nearby uh, village that was close to some place that he had been because he was trying to find places that he had been. And when he was at this little village, there was an orphanage there. And uh, he got to know one of the people that was helping to run this orphanage. And there came a moment where he realized that there was a little child that was going to be bought and pulled into like sex trafficking. Similar to the story I told you at the very beginning. And he's like, what? He went and found the mayor of the nearby village and twisted that guy's ear for half a day until the mayor got involved and went over there and just stopped it. And he said, like, it just, I mean, it was one little boy and it was one moment, but I'd like, I was going to stop that. That just wasn't okay. And then he found out that this was going on in other ways with this orphanage. And he stepped in, he said, I'm going to just hang out at this orphanage. He started uh, helping them fix up the orphanage and he was chasing off people at different moments. And then he got involved with different officials and doing all of this thing. And I remember he came back and he told me, he said, Glenn, like, there was a party and, and just, it was a, the, the whole experience was a rich experience for him. But he, I remember he said, said, it just felt like when I realized what was going on, that like if there was any place so dark and so ugly and so deep, a hole so deep that on this planet that God couldn't be there, it would be there. And then he said, but I kept running into God constantly there. It's like, talk to that mayor and I didn't understand half of what he was saying and I had a translator there and next thing I know, he solved it. It's just like God showed up in that moment. There was another moment where I met this couple and they ended up adopting these three kids in this thing and I kind of helped to orchestrate this thing because I just, and he said, and there's three kids, they'll never have to worry about ever being sold or being in an orphanage ever again. And he said, they were just, he said, and I know it's still there and I know that's still going on and it breaks my heart and he ended 
ended up traveling back to that place and this other Marine that I knew ended up getting involved in a ministry that was doing the same kind of thing. But it's like, it was so different than my experience with that young man that was so broken over this whole thing. That like, um, like what he experienced in this, it's like God showed up and God was real in this. And I just realized there was a story that I didn't share with you in all of this, right? Um, um, you know, when, when, when we turn our faith into something plastic, it can break us. That plastic breaks. It becomes something else. Years and years ago, after a message, I had a, I had a young man, 20 years old. I don't think I, if I told you this story, just not a bunch and I'll skip it. But I think I didn't tell you this story yet. Young man, uh, I think he was about, well, I know he was 23 because his aunt was with him. His aunt spoke to me first. She came up to me and she said, hi, this is my 23-year-old nephew and he has some questions for you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And he looked at me and he said, okay, but my questions are gonna scare you. I said, okay. His young man grew up in a community where you had to have that plastic kind of faith. He grew up in a, in a church where it was like they saw God like he was my shop teacher. You just, faith meant you believed it even if you didn't believe it. This, these were the right answers and no questions asked. Doubt was like seen as this terrible, unhealthy thing. And he grew up with that. And whenever you experience doubt, you just double down on like, check your brain at the door. You just believe this and that's the way forward. And so at age 23, he goes on a, on a short-term mission trip to Vietnam to work in an orphanage. And it wrecked him. Because his faith was strong and he went in there and he's like, I'm going to change this thing. And he's seeing this stuff that was so terrible. And he's like, I'm going to pray and I know how to pray. And when I pray this way, this will fix it. And God's going to change this whole thing. And he prayed that way and it didn't change it. And then he said, and I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And it didn't change it. Little things happen, but it didn't change this, this thing. When he left there, the problem still existed. And that rocked his faith. He did not know what to do with it. And it broke him. Because he was never allowed to just say, I'm a human and I'm going to have doubts. But what I need more than knowledge of why or how to fix it is I need to know God in all of this. And I've experienced these two moments where there were people that went actually to Vietnam and experienced something so dark. And one of them, his faith was destroyed by it because he wasn't allowed to have a messy faith. And the other one went there and he couldn't not keep running into God at every single turn because he had learned that a messy faith is actually a deeper faith because that's where he kept running into God and seeing God. So the last thing here, friends, that I want to tell you that in this whole thing, when it comes to your doubts and your struggles and what you have is this. Take a step, and I'm going to ask you to take a step this morning to seek a relationship. You may not know everything you want to know about how spirituality works or everything about the Bible or everything, but you can always pursue relationships. You know how Paul ends this chapter? He says, you know what remains? After all the knowledge that we don't have or can't get, 
You know what remains? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. That's relationship. It is to step into the messiness and to experience that God is still good, even when you doubt. And it is to experience that God loves you. That Marine went to Vietnam and he was used by God in the most beautiful way. And all he, he said, I knew that God loved me and it changed everything. So I've asked the worship team to come out here this morning and they're going to sing a song to you. And this is not a song to just listen to. Let this song wash over your soul. Let it fill your mind. Let it speak to how good God is and how much he loves you. If you want to sing along, sing along. If you want to close your eyes and just listen to the words, close your eyes and listen to the words. If you want to stay seated, stay seated. If you want to stand, stand. If you want to raise, let just let it speak to you and just experience God and you'll begin to understand and feel. I can have a messy faith and understand that what I need most is just to be known by God. You know, um, we want this to be a community where no one ever has to check their brain at the door, that you come in with doubts, questions, and know that God is good with you and you are welcome in this place, right? Amen, amen. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna close this with a blessing here, but before I do, I wanna just say, um, if you are new, if you're visiting, if there's something you're struggling with, um, we've got people over in our prayer room and we invite you to go and they would love to pray with you or for you. And if you're new, if we've never had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you here this morning. I'm gonna be uh, right over here by these uh, tables and this lovely uh, couple over here, the Zermax, um, and would love to just uh, meet you this morning. And uh, blessings on you. Why don't you stand? Let me, let me just close this with a blessing here. May God just shine his face upon you. And may you just take in the light of his grace and his love and his joy and his peace. Amen. Have a great morning and we'll see you next week.